0: Singe, Sanj, Zinga. You're listening to Zinga Network at zinganetwork.com. Which then makes me think of your tag, Super Blast.
1: This was basically a joke. Yeah. So it, I just needed a name that was not my graffiti name. I wanted to disconnect, but I was still connected. And that was like in the 70s. Like when, the early graffiti when it started, it was like super cat super cool there was all this like more like joke names or well, not joke right. names but they were more fun you know they seemed more fun and i have also the feeling that the whole rap game it was way more fun back then you know when i see the bc boys when i see run mc when i see tone luck or whatever like these early early people mm-hmm. or even 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 before that there was like more party having fun uh, Mm-hmm. kind of rap it didn't got like to all oh, my gold chain and my uh, I don't know my BMW and my whatever mm-hmm. all these things that are just um, you know it's not about it's not about life it's more about what I have you know? so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. which I don't know yeah, it has its uh, existence right but for me it's boring so I wanted to have this fun part in there and Super Blast which is also interesting is um, When I chose it, I didn't really thought of it, but Super Blast means like having super fun Mm -hmm. and on the other hand is a super explosion. Mm -hmm. So it's like something very negative kind of. So it's Mm -hmm. like a positive and negative thing at the same time, Mm -hmm. maybe, and it's a fun name. So somehow I just like stumbled into it and I thought, oh, that's a great idea. Uh, Yeah, and now it just sticks.
0: It makes me think of pinball tables. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Artipus, art you can hear. Artipus interviews Superblast, also known as Manuel Osterholt, graffiti artist, painter, and creative consultant and director at Heavyweight Gallery in Berlin. If you're a long-time listener of Artipus, you know how much I love street art and graffiti. Superblast is one of those rare artists whose work can be classified as both. Starting out tagging in the streets, his work has been around for a while. It's hard to miss. Large-scale pieces featuring floating eyes, snakes, and skulls, usually in dark blues and blacks that haunt urban landscapes like primitive reminders of ancient gods. But I really got to know his work in the U-Bahn, Berlin's underground transit system. Over one weekend this past October, The distillery Bombay Gin took over an abandoned subway station near Potsdamer Platz and transformed it into an art bar called Canvas Bar. They created their own subway tunnel, a corridor of huge canvases so seven artists, well, six artists and Design Academy Berlin, could bomb the walls for Bombay. Proceeds from the event were donated to the Design Academy to help support students pursue careers in the arts. One of those artists was Superblast. And for Manuel, it was like getting back to his graffiti roots back in the day, straight out of Heidelberg? Thank you very much for being here. So I've seen your work before, but I don't know that much about your work. I saw it really up close the first time at the Canvas Bar event for Bombay. I was doing a workshop with the Bombay ambassador, Martin Thibault. Did you get to meet him?
1: I think I met him, yeah.
0: Yeah? We did a little workshop together where actually I was taking people through that sort of like corridor of art and talking about each piece, kind of helping people to see how to see art. That's one of the things that I do. So it was great to stand in front of your work, because normally it's, you know, like high up on a building mm. and talk about what I saw in it and, and what I think, it, you know, I mean, I think it's subjective. You can project your mm. own stories on it. But
1: art. that's what I love. I mean, I'm more interested in what you saw than to tell you what I thought of it you know yeah I know, I'm, I'm th- way more <laughs> interested in that uh, normally but of course it's
0: it's your interview
1: yeah yeah, so that's, why, that's why that's <laughs> why we're not here to listen to me I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's start first with the Bombay event so how did you get involved in that
1: um they basically called me and asked me if I would be interested mm-hmm. to uh, work on a six on two meter canvas Mm -hmm. during this event and like live painting so people can see the process and uh, for me it sounded interesting. I mean it's a small format kind of because I like big formats. For you
0: though, I mean I think it was a bigger format for some of the other artists there
1: it seemed like that uh, some of them they never had this format so for me it was like very natural to to work on it and it was interesting how people approached uh, uh, it differently so this was also an aspect that really uh, that was fun for me to um, to interact with other artists because normally you're in the studio and you work on your work and you're like basically reflecting all the time on yourself and the moment you have this opportunity to have like a big studio setup when you step back and you can interact with the other people and you see what they do and as I have this graffiti background um, for us it was always you go on a wall with friends you paint the wall but you're always eyeing left and right what they do and it's a competition you know so it's you know it's not like I'm sitting there and I'm painting my little thing it's more like okay what is he doing what is he doing okay can I? be on top of that and mm-hmm. can I use more crazy colors than him, can I use more arrows than him, can I use you know it's a, it's, very, uh, it's a friendly competition let's say so in this training that I have over the years because I'm doing this I don't know since 89 or something like that so it comes very natural to me so I see what people next to me do and then you know I can you can nudge it a little bit up and see Great what's job. happening with the other people, and it was interesting to have this. Um, it was not a competition at all because everybody had his own style and everything. But like the energy that you can create
0: yeah.
1: with that, I find very interesting.
0: Were you the only one kind of in that mindset? Because mm. you're the you're the only one who really comes from a street art or graffiti background.
1: So mm, I think so, yeah.
0: What I saw was, especially between your piece and Olaf's piece was, I think I saw a connection between all of them. Mm. Um, but especially between yours and Olaf's, I saw a lot of inspiration between the two of you. Yeah. Definitely. Which was kind of a nice connection because it was across the room instead of right next to each other. Mm. And if you're working on your canvases, you both would have had your backs to each other. Mm. So it was, a, it was kind of a... It's just a nice thing to think about, like how that network worked, you know, kind of like mm. dancing through the air and inspiring each other.
1: Yeah, I think we have a a similar, um, how you say, uh, vanish point, no, like starting point, you know, similar of what interests us. And mm-hmm. uh, he comes from illustration. So for him, it was right. the first time that he painted on a on a canvas that size. Mm-hmm. And um, there were so many similarities about uh, what we think about our art and uh, where it comes from, what is inspiration, what do we want to talk about. And uh, it was very interesting that um, two people from different uh, areas could talk about similar stuff, but in a totally different way and that that made it very interesting so i was a lot looking over to him because i I loved his process of um, layering and taking away again and layering again so he really worked on the um, uh, not structure but um, the surface he really 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 worked on that and for me it was more like painterly and bold like more graphically.
0: Right. I, well, so you're making me think of two things. The idea of two different people coming from two different places and having a similar approach is very Jungian in that idea of the collective consciousness. It, you see that really clearly among artists and creative people, and it's always a nice thing, I think, to see because it's a beautiful thing to believe in in your work you incorporate a lot of mythology and spirituality and iconographic figures so that fits in very well with that i think absolutely your work being more bold which in in a way and i don't mean this as an insult but in a way it was much more um almost one-dimensional because it's sort of Mm -hmm. there's a bit of a of a i would say like a very small bit of sort of matisse Paper cuts mm-hmm. involved, but your work was also reminding me of a German artist who was recently featured in Koenig Gallery.
1: About this scene in the eighties or
0: I think he's earlier, Carl King. Yeah. One of the things one of the paintings I saw in there was basically like something that that Jean-Paul Basquiat would have done. Hmm but it, it was, was be, but it was before basquiat yeah. so it was a, it's sort of like where all that stuff comes from mm. you know which is mm. always interesting to me because of the street art scene in new york and the new Absolutely. the new expressionists from new york who all spent a lot of time in berlin mm. before they went back to new york and started i mean not basquiat but the other oh, berlin, guys in the
1: scene back in the days this was yeah like i mean the two crazy. big
0: influences i think were um graffiti especially in New York where for the New York freshness were graffiti on the trains and, and all the inspiration that people took back from Berlin because everybody was coming to Berlin for like a couple of years and then coming back to New mm-hmm. York. So, and then you see that in a lot of Basquiat's work, you see it kind of in Keith Haring's work, but the whole, there's a group called the Rivington school that I was running around with, but you definitely see it in their work. Um, yeah, so it was it was a nice thing to see like an even earlier version and mm. how these things all influence each other, mm. which brings me to the point of you. So you started in 1989, you said, mm. doing street art or graffiti.
1: No, no, I'm uh, I don't consider myself street art. Okay. I have a graffiti background. Okay, so I. Started, Why don't you
0: consider yourself street art?
1: Because I find it too boxing in, kind of like for me, it's. Uh, I consider myself like artist maybe, uh-huh. maybe not even, I don't know, you know, but it's like the street art is such a, how do you call it, like, not a niche, but it's like as if you get in this little box and then you live in this little box. Right. You know, so for me, I want to be in a broader sense. Of course, everybody tries to put me close to that and because of my history and because I'm working a lot with um, street culture. In general, like I have a graffiti background, I have a punk, I have a um, hip-hop background. So all this maps, of course, together and Mm -hmm. it's like easily put in there. But I want to see it more in a broader sense. Also because the way I communicate um, my issues
0: that I I talk about. Mm -hmm. Themes, maybe. Themes. So graffiti is how Mm -hmm. you started, but not in Berlin or in Berlin? No, in Heidelberg. In Heidelberg, okay. Which is...
1: uh, one hour south from frankfurt yeah so it was like a small university city but it has like a very important hip hop scene mm-hmm. because we also had like the uh, european base for the american army yeah so that brought very early like the influences of mm-hmm. the whole hip hop culture uh, from the gis
0: ah okay we, that like, makes sense yeah. yeah
1: into the into the community and so hip hop music was like the the first hip hop. Um, German hip hop comes from there, mm-hmm. like Advanced Chemistry and Shiba Twins and Torch and all these mm-hmm. people. It's like um, a pillar of hip hop early hip hop culture in Europe. So there was like Amsterdam, there was like uh, London, Paris, and uh, for sure there was Heidelberg also in there.
0: Was there a big graffiti scene before all this or in Heidelberg or did the graffiti scene come out of the influence of hip hop and how did that happen because should I ask you like 20 questions all at once? <laughs> <laughs> how did that happen because there wasn't things like the internet where you could be like what do no, these yeah, guys do? Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. So who,
0: who, no, that who brought the
1: graffiti? No there was a gr- small group of people mm-hmm. who did that on a very high level. So, um, I'm basically, I consider myself second generation in European, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe even third, I don't know. Um, so, I come, of course, later than what was done before and, um, yeah, there was like a small scene, but it was quite uh, quite active mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I was part of that and then we, we had a lot of connection with Berlin and Potsdam and so I was you know I always was projecting myself going to Berlin because there's where
0: well there was that big wall <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly
1: but I, you know 89 it started to to come down yeah. um, and I came like around 2000 2001 to Berlin
0: uh-huh. yeah. Um, Isn't that interesting, though, if you think about in the 1950s, the U.S. government and the CIA were pretty responsible for um, advancing American modern art as Mm. part of the Cold War. Mm. And then American GIs also really, as a result of the Cold War, having a base in Heidelberg, Mm. bringing hip hop and rap and graffiti culture and, and which is of course very different from street mm-hmm. art culture but isn't that interesting that it's like actually kind of a government thing
1: kind of yeah yeah and weird. also if you think like one of the most important films that was um uh, that came to or i think like two important films is like uh, one is wild style mm-hmm. and the other one is uh style wars mm-hmm which is like important films for our community because as you said there was no internet there was nothing around where you get the information from where do you get the trigger of seeing anything close to that and there was like um, music videos but there was not really cable back then mtv just started yeah. kind of there was buffalo girls of um Malcolm McLaren. Uh-huh. he did that and you know, he came to New York, he saw that after he had the Sex Pistols and everything in in London, he went to Mm -hmm. New York and he experienced that. So he brought kind of this video back to us and there was like a Dondi outline in the background and Dondi is one of the figure. So, yeah, so and um, the films were partly supported by the German second um, TV station CTF, they mm-hmm. sponsored right. part of this movie done about uh, you know youth culture, uh, mm-hmm. which was not accepted in the US yet at right. all. Uh,
0: f- I, you know, or you know, I can't remember what I was doing in 1989.
1: I don't know if it came out no, I, I think it yeah, came out no. earlier even.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I I that definitely by the late 80s, I was running around the streets myself. So I have no idea Mm, what was going on. mm. What I've noticed in Berlin, the the graffiti styles that I see here are like totally old school New Mm, York styles, mm. but also some really beautiful, like giant black bubble style that I haven't seen before. Mm. What's the style that you were working in?
1: So Heidelberg was very traditional, so it was New York style. We incorporated the New York style, but we made it like European. So because New York, then when we started, there was no trains anymore, or, you know, not uh, that extent. They had mostly been cleaned
0: up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was like the whole uh, Koch or what's, what's his name? Koch. Koch, yeah. And um, so they cleaned up and we kind of took the tradition to let it uh, not die, to you know, because it's like New York had such a high level of uh, stylistics. I met one guy in New York, um, I forgot his name, it's like one of the best style masters you could find. He was like friend of phase two or something. So he stopped in 76. I was born in 76. And he showed me somewhere in 2000 something, he showed me his uh, black book. And yet, styles in 76 that I could not recreate now, you know. It was so good what they did back then. It's uh, another level of skills. And so to, to learn the skills of what New York did and make something own out of it, I think that was the mindset that we had. Like to take something, to start to understand it, and then make something your own, right? You know, so did that was that was a little bit uh, what I did. I mean, they were very traditional, so I was trying to work against that traditional thing, but still, um, of course, reference into it.
0: Were you guys conscious of preserving? I don't want to say a dying art, but as you as you noted, you know, like the trains were already getting clear, cleared up and. Things were changing a lot. Mm. I think the styles in New York, especially after Giuliani, the styles went like super basic. Basic, yeah. It was just Um,
1: bombing back then. Yeah. So um, it is, in a way, especially Berlin also, like in the heydays, they took it. There was so much preserving and uh, working on it and inviting old school people from New York to work with them here Um, it was very conscious i think it was very conscious but also bringing it further and making it something your own
0: i mean it's interesting to me that this is something that was being done in berlin heidelberg but then more so in berlin preserving a style of graffiti which is a form of calligraphy which is a form of thoughts and typesetting which was born here in berlin
1: Mm.
0: that there's sort of this like long history of mm. of f- having an appreciation for the printed mm. and of course painted in mm. that sense but the printed letter mm. do you do you think that that was probably not in anybody's consciousness but
1: i think in this kids not but it's something that you have around you yeah because uh, unconsciously you of course see your surrounding i mean if you if you look at pictures from the, you know, when graffiti started, I don't know, when, 70s, whatever, I mean, they're still fighting over who invented what, mm-hmm. you know, but let's say mid 70s or whatever. And if you have pictures from there and you see the typefaces of the advertisings and everything, and also just the uh, handwriting, if somebody says, oh, coffee, two euros today, something like that, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they wrote, you see this hand style already. So, They incorporated this style and made it also their own. Mm -hmm. Because you see it on the trains, you see it how they, you know. Or when the computer came and they started with computer rock letters, which are more broken or more stiff. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You incorporate what is in your surrounding, unconsciously maybe, and uh, fill it in within what you express out of yourself. so.
0: So was it a transition? And how did you make a transition from bombing in the street to canvas, paper hmm. canvas, painting in general.
1: I was always drawn to artistic outlet, let's say. So before I did graffiti, I was very interested in calligraphy, in letters, in comic books, in so making little characters, making, you know, all this. I come from a very um, I wouldn't say artistic family, but if I look back, we had a wood shop. We had a dark room, photo dark room
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the house. We had a... Potter's
0: th- wheel. Potter's yeah. wheel,
1: exactly. We had this there. We had My mom did some glass cutting things, mm-hmm. drawing. My father had all the instruments for uh, electric instruments, like from Roland to oh, okay. uh, four-track uh-huh. recording, all of this. So I was surrounded with so many options of creativity, and it was like you know, do it yourself. Like, you can do everything you want and you can create and you can do all this. Although there were no artists or no, not considering themselves but, even artists. But it's like, you know, it's incorporated in, right. in in me.
0: Right. When you were messing around as a kid, you were working with calligraphy and drawing. Yeah, I'm drawing,
1: comic. I was drawing all my life, basically. So yeah. but when I saw the first time, uh, I think I passed with a train, some graffiti, and I was like, blown away it was like basically the combination of calligraphy and comic books and the colors and it's outside and it's you know kind of how did they do that and there was no internet you could not go like what is the funny picture that I just saw no Mm -hmm. it's like what is it and then you have to go with your little camera and you go and you take a picture and then you have to develop it and then you look at it and you're like did they do that you know and then you have a friend at school who's like oh I have this friend with the big brother and this big brother he did letters graffiti you know and he has a magazine or whatever and then so you go there you look at the magazine and so information you need to get information together and uh, see how that works and then you have a click of friends and everybody gets interested in that and
0: it's like And then you figure out how to to climb up buildings, Mm, right? Yeah, whatever,
1: yeah. (laughs) Whatever was necessary to um, get that experience, right? That's
0: the thing that I'm always curious about, is how people get into spaces that are very high or very hard to access. Mm. I'm always curious, like, you know, how did you get there? Mm. How long did it take you to figure it out? Mm. Just because I think everybody who does this, I mean, street artists nowadays are often supported by communities and cities. So I know in Paris- Yeah, it's a
1: part of gentrification. In a
0: way, it's become that. I, I think like, I lived in Paris for six years and the, you know, there's different arrondissements like mm. Keats. And the, I don't know if he still lived there, but the mayor of the 13th arrondissement was a huge street art fan. So he would preserve walls and then invite famous street artists to come and mm. and paint. But there's this different street art tradition in Paris throughout the rest of the city, which is more, I think, traditional in the sense of creating something that's meant to disappear and mm. become a part of the, mm. the landscape of the city itself.
1: Which is way um, more interesting to me than uh, having a, a big billboards there.
0: I, yeah, I think so too. But, I don't see or it's, it's very rare these days I think to see like a piece of street art especially a big piece in a hard to reach place mm-hmm. that hasn't been supported by you know some, mm-hmm. some some organization to help hire a crane and all this stuff mm-hmm. but graffiti artists don't get that support.
1: No not at all but they, they also don't want that you know. So it's a different mindset it's, I think I would say graffiti is done just for a community in a community, it's not done actually for people on the street. If they, if they like it, you know, because it's colorful and whatever, but it mainly, it cannot be colorful because you have to be very fast, so you cannot make the nice colorful uh, painting. Graffiti is, yeah. you know... It's I mean,
0: more free in a it's, way. It's more
1: free, and it's also not uh, trying to be liked. You
0: know? Yeah, well I don't think it's trying to be anything other than what it is. Mm, yeah, exactly. You know, which, yeah. Is, which I think is what makes it so beautiful in many ways. Mm. Um, but moving on to actual canvases, yes. although we could just talk about graffiti the whole time because <laughs> it's cool to talk about. As I said earlier, I felt that you know your work was more one-dimensional mm. and it had like an element of cut out to it, certainly really, really bold colors, you use similar themes. I was looking at some of your other work online. Mm. Floating eyes. The work you had at Canvas Bar, there were a lot of plants, I noticed, mm-hmm. coming out awesome. of the ground. Yeah, um, which I made up a whole story about. <laughs> I was like, Very oh. Nice. I'm, it's I'm like, interested. It's, you know, I was like, it's like, the, it's like the juniper berries that create gin. But actually, I was but, talking but, about evolution. The piece that you had at Canvas Bar mm. made me think more of evolution, of, life-forms moving from the sea to land, mm. is how I was actually mm-hmm. interpreting it. But I'm really interested in your ideas of mythology and iconography and, and spirituality and all these things that find their way into your work. Mm.
1: So, I have a um, Greek-German background. Mm-hmm. So, um, of course, iconography is a orthodox. Uh,
0: well, that explains
1: everything. Mm. <laughs> so, it's <laughs> a, a German ness in there, and then there's <laughs> a Greek craziness in there. And uh, no, so um, if you go in a Greek church, like an orthodox mm-hmm. church, you see all this gold and you see all this uh, imagery, these symbols, and I'm very drawn to that. It, it lights me up. Mm-hmm. I'm not even baptized, I don't believe in. In uh how you call it God yeah, I don't know the concept of God, I don't know, I'm not really religious. believing in that but it's more uh, I don't believe in religious um dogmatism, so I don't believe in that yeah but i'm I'm interested in the symbolism of it, what of the meaning, because how can you communicate something? Um, Meaningful, what means uh, or what communicates about life. Life itself, what is this thing life anyway? So we come to life and there it is, and what is it, how can we figure it out? And I'm a person who needs to have like certain reference points to make understanding of things. Mm -hmm. So I take this symbolism as a reference point for me. And um, I was always drawn to mythology, obviously Greek mythology, very classic um, ideas of um, humankind. You know, you mm. can read all of this, what you read there, you couldn't put it as a blueprint mm-hmm. and put it on nowadays, you know. So it didn't change. Humankind didn't change at all, in my opinion. And um, so all these myths that um, come from an ancient time. Um, they are just like helpers for us to understand what is society, what is humankind, what does it mean and um, yeah, I'm trying to incorporate that into my artwork and, um, and art itself, when I sit there with my canvas and I look at it, it's a mirror for me, I reflect in it and um, to understand me and myself and my surrounding, I, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that to, to understand what's going on there.
0: When, when I say that your background of Greek and German explains everything, what I meant was Byzantine paintings. It makes now all the eyes, the figures of the eyes that you use make a lot of sense because mm. they're very Byzantine. I think, it's, uh, I think it's really fascinating to use canvas and paint as a way to explore some of these questions. Do you feel that there's a long sort of... I mean, you say that mankind hasn't changed, in your opinion. Do you feel that there's just sort of like a long connecting thread from the ancient Greeks to today?
1: I think so, yeah. Yeah?
0: Yeah.
1: I think, uh, you know... Some things changed, but not really. Like, if you look way back and probably even way, way more back, I think, like, I think that there was so much change, really. I mean, we're, we're living maybe longer because we have medicine, which is good, mm-hmm. but this is not the question that I'm searching for.
0: What is the know? question that you're searching for? Yes,
1: basically, what is this life? And also, um, when you look at my figures, it's not like a male figure, it's not a female figure, it's like basically a a human figure, Mm -hmm. Um, and it also mainly has a skull on it, so it's Mm -hmm. like a fraction of the uh, living and the dying, basically, which Mm -hmm. is also part of our life. So it's like this life circle. And um, it's a universal language, kind of universal language. Um, And I'm also working with the snake, um, which is also in our um, Christian, how you say? Uh, Structure. Yeah, it you know it has a certain meaning of evil and of right. of this, but uh, and um, but also on the other hand wisdom. But when I go to South Africa and I want to, I painted a big painting which was uh, on a under a highway. So basically, it was two pillars. And the two pillars became two hands mm-hmm. and uh, the highway was a snake basically mm-hmm. so I lifted it and I wanted to rip it open because I wanted to have this reference of uh, fighting the evil and it's also like uh, like the chains that you have to mm-hmm. break open and then everybody was like oh wait a minute wait a minute you don't rip snake open because uh, snake is our ancestors so it's a symbol of ancestors so in the African mythology the snake is something very important and it's something they look up to and it's not like us where we think it, it is a bad, uh,
0: a, bad yeah.
1: animal bad symbol or whatever you know right so i find it very interesting because i'm thinking of universal like to find really a universal language but it's also not happening because of all this cultural um, associations with certain things and certain symbols that mean something else in different cultures.
0: Well, yeah, but at the same time, there's certain symbols that all cultures have, Mm -hmm. even though they give them different meanings, Mm -hmm. you know, like the symbol of the snake is in most cultures. Okay, I'm not an anthropologist, I don't know, but it's in quite a few very separate cultures, mm. and yet there it is, even though it has a different meaning mm. in, in each of them. Mm. Or the image of the, the great flood or great fire for mm. some cultures, mm. which is the same mm. purpose. So you have to wonder, you know, going back to like the Jungian idea of the collective consciousness, how is it that everybody sort of chose this one life form or this mm. one big mm. event mm to represent a, a really major idea for the human experience. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's good or bad or, or whatever. Yeah, but this
1: really, really interests me. So there's one uh writer he's a um, mythologist, basically, I think. Um Campbell.
0: Joseph Campbell. Joseph yeah. Campbell.
1: And with the hero with a thousand faces, like I think mm-hmm. it's his
0: seminal book. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. So in there you see all of this like He's really picking mythologies from all over the world that are so disconnected they could have never mm-hmm. talked to each other, and they have the same idea of the birth of the universe, or right. or the flood, or right. uh, these kind of things, or the father against the son, or the. So there's so many things, and I think if you break down humankind, you find all these stories. Mm -hmm. And these stories is is a helper for us to understand, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's why I'm, yeah, I'm super interested in that. What I used to work on for a very, very long time, and it was like this gold and blue and black and uh, white, and it was like more kind of a heady imagery. So it was more like about the symbols and what they reflect. And it was not like the, let's say, the emotional communication that you have with it Mm -hmm. and in recent years I tried to break my own um, my own system in a way that I built it because I built a system that worked so I could work within this system and uh, you know adapt the symbols different to each other, scale it up and down, create a story with it but somehow I was uh, trapped in this system and for me, I wanted to get out of uh, and be free, you know, because I wanted to have fun with the painting and not be stuck in in my own system. Right. So kind of for the first time, you see what I did on the canvas bar. You see this process that I had going for years on the side, mm-hmm. broken open my system. I used all the elements, but cut it open, um, saturated it so that's why it's more flat now that's what you call flat right that it's uh it looks like cut out so it's basically over saturating it and just Mm -hmm. pulling the knobs up you know like
0: super blast exactly exactly You can find more of Superblast's work at superblast.de and check out Heavyweight Gallery at Linienstrasse 161 in Berlin or online at heavyweight.com. That's HVW8.com. I'm Susie Kolick, and you've been listening to Artipus Art You Can Hear. Artipus uses art to create a bridge connecting the personal to the global, supporting artists, museums, and galleries, and independent musicians and composers. If you connected to this episode, please support the making of the next one. Just click on the Donate button at our website, www.artipus.com. That's A-R-T-I-P-O-E-U-S dot com. Transcripts and photos of this episode and more are available at medium.com. You're probably listening to us on SoundCloud or iTunes, or on Acast for Android. You can also stream us through one of our media partners, a collection of independent galleries and organizations supporting art and artists through exhibits, online platforms and tools, and space for smart dialogue. Glarify at Glarify.com. Gallery Alplus at alplusalplus.com, the Dark Rooms at thedarkrooms.de, and StuZu at stuZu I'm Susie Collick, and you've been listening to Artipus, art you can hear. You've been listening to Artipus. Produced and edited in Berlin by Suzy Kolick, with original theme music by Hotlegs, for the Zynga Network, S-I-N-G-E Network